This is a Dude Studios production. And hey, I'm the Dude. Hey, welcome back to Hey Bartender Podcast. I am your bartender for the evening. You can call me Anthony if you have a severe memory problem with people's names like we all do. You can call me Dude. I'm completely cool with that. Oh, it is the Wednesday Quick Shot episode. That's me. That means we're just going to have one and get the fuck out of here. Well, it doesn't always happen, but hey, what are you going to do? So, to start off the show, we got to do the same thing that we do every show. We got to start off with a drink recipe. Uh, this recipe, I swiped off the Fraternal Order of Bartenders Facebook page from a guy named Sean P. Quinn. Uh, he said his bar named a cocktail after him, and he loved every bit of it. The Quintessential Cocktail. Now, I don't know if you call it the Sean P. Quinn or you call it the Quintessential Cocktail. Take your pick. Uh, if you're if you don't work where he works, and you can call it whatever you want. So, how you make this quintessential cocktail? You will need one ounce of Jack Honey, one ounce of Captain Morgan, three quarter ounce pumpkin syrup, three quarter ounce lemon juice, a dash of Polynesian tiki bitters, and a cinnamon and a cinnamon sugar rim. Uh. Looks like you can uh, just pour it straight into the glass, and, or you can shake and strain it. That's all up to you. But you got to put it in a bucket uh, in order to fit all that stuff. And he gives a suggestion uh, not only for people to try it, but to give it garnish it with a badass dinosaur figurine. You'll understand when I post the picture on Instagram and Facebook. But uh, thank you, Sean P. Quinn, for sharing that with everybody so I could swipe it off the website and share it with everybody even more. Uh, For those of you who don't follow Fraternal Order of Bartenders, but uh, it's a cool cool Facebook page, trust me. A bunch of bartenders get together, share stories, share uh, questions, grievances, happy moments, and on the occasional, a drink recipe. Go check it out. Fraternal Order of Bartenders on Facebook. Meanwhile, back at the ranch, the Lone Ranger, not knowing Tonto was disguised as a pool table, racked his balls. I'm just kidding. Uh, It is Wednesday. It is the Quick Shot episode. This is going to round out November. Uh, For those of you who are actually listening to it on Wednesday, tomorrow is Thanksgiving. uh, And I hope everybody's being safe. I hope uh, that majority of you are able to go and spend time with your families uh, or maybe a few friends that you're close with uh, because, you know, Thanksgiving alone can kind of be a bummer. For those of you who have to work on Thanksgiving, uh, yeah, it's kind of a bummer. It takes away time from your family and your friends, but uh, you have a chance to make some serious uh, scratch, you know, just to try to make you feel better. But, um, you know... The managers are uh, are right. There are people out there that have absolutely nothing else to do with their lives, so they just go back to the bar where the, uh, where everybody knows their name. And uh, you know, I'm sorry you have to work the holiday, but uh, make some money. Look on the bright side. Um, I've never personally worked at a bar or restaurant or 
uh, anything where we had to work on the holidays. They gave us those days off. And uh, there, I, I think, uh, you know, one of the bars that I worked at, they gave us Christmas Eve and Christmas off because they just, well, they uh, they used Christmas Eve as the excuse to do, hold the, Christ, uh, the bar's Christmas party. And then uh, Christmas Day, we all just stayed home. But there was another bar in the neighborhood that uh, stayed open during the major holidays. And my friend Shannon, when she worked there, she took those shifts just because there was an awesome chance to make some serious cash and, uh, because she was going to be the only bar open in town. And she said it wasn't dead. It was, it was, the place was packed. So, uh, you know, try to look on the bright side. Don't feel too bad. If you time it right, you can quickly get in good turkey dinner and then all of a sudden disappear right before the dishes are done. I uh, have to be done. You know, so there is a bright side to it. Trust me. Uh, ask me anything. I'll justify it for you. Uh, whether it's a good justification or a bad justification. Well, it depends on the situation. Uh, and who I have to convince. I, I can justify a lot of stuff. But anyway, I told you guys that this November being my birthday month, I was going to talk about the stuff that I personally enjoyed talking about with my customers. Uh, you know, it's like I, uh, so far this month, I've told you the story behind Piano Man. I, I used to love telling people about that. The story of why I hate Leonardo DiCaprio. I will tell the weirdest stranger on the street that story just because uh, he was a dick to me and everybody I know. And uh, it, that feeling is never going to go away. And it's been, Christ, uh, better than 30 years. Um, and um, a couple, yeah, maybe 30 years. But, uh, and uh, I've told you uh, uh, other stuff. Anyway, uh, today, I uh, like I told, like I've told you guys a lot before. I love talking about music. When I when I was behind my bar, uh, I used to talk about music with a lot of people, and I understand that a lot of you bartenders nowadays hook up your cell phones or your MP3 players to the sound system in your bar, and you basically control what uh, everybody gets to listen to. So you in. No fault of your own. Uh, You get to listen to the stuff you like. That makes your life go a lot better instead of somebody going over to the jukebox and playing uh, With or Without You by U2 78 times. And so having that control can be kind of nice and make it a little bit more tolerable for the bartender. But when it came to music, uh, I had a couple good friends that guaranteed they came into the bar and they and I can talk to about music with them all the time. Classic rock is normally what I would talk to them about because that's pretty much where my wheelhouse is. Uh, I don't know everything about uh, music, but I can hold my own in a conversation. Now, some of you guys who have listened to this uh, podcast know I'm a huge Beatles fan. I can talk about the Beatles forever. Or, or until it just gets stupid. And usually I can tell when it's getting stupid. Um, now, when it comes to the Beatles, the I thought them as a group was uh, when they were the best. Everybody constantly always asked me, 
who's your favorite Beatle? And I, and I always sit back and say, you know, I, uh, I didn't really enjoy their solo stuff as much as I enjoyed their stuff when they were together. It, you know, as a group, as a team, I thought they were incredible. But when they went off on their own, you could tell something was missing. All four of them were kind of trying to get away from the whole Beatles sound. And they, in my worthless opinion, tried a little bit too hard. Paul McCartney kind of uh, wandered back to it in the later years or more recent years. Uh, and uh, it it's just, uh, you know, I just couldn't really, uh, really get into their solo stuff. That was just the way it was. I prefer them as the Beatles. So I would sit and talk with, uh, well, the first time I met this guy, his name was Rusty, supposedly. And uh, the story behind him was everybody in the bar believed that he was the drummer for Foghat. I had my doubts about it, but I I never really asked him about Foghat uh, because I, the only song I could think of, think of at the time uh, when it came to Foghat was Slow Ride because it got played on the classic rock station constantly. But when I would sit and talk with him and uh, we'd uh, talk about the Beatles and we'd uh, get really emotional about it uh, and really into the conversation, the, when I first became his friend, uh, I he saw that I was wearing a Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band t-shirt. And he goes, Beatles fan, huh? And I said, yes, sir. And he goes, well, let me give you a test. Other than Hoffner, what kind of bass did Paul McCartney play? And I thought about it for a second. I said, Rickenbacker. And he shook my hand. And he goes, yes, you are a Beatle fan. And I, I was like, we became friends directly after that. And we didn't stick with the Beatles. We talked about all different types of genres of music. Uh, but the Beatles were the common ground where we both stood. Um, he knew tons about rock and roll and he never really corrected anybody when they'd uh when word got around that he was the drummer for fog hat and uh he didn't say he was he never said he wasn't but he never uh corrected anybody so, oh my god you're the drummer for fog hat and i kept looking at him and went no no i don't think so I because I went to a record store at one point and looked at an album cover and I said that ain't him no, but he was still a good friend so I wouldn't uh, wouldn't ever call him out on it. Uh, some other people did uh, when he had to split town, but I never did because I considered him a good friend. So another good friend uh, that I had that would uh, that I'd talk about music constantly. Uh, his name was Jeff. Uh, he's passed away now. Uh, miss him. Uh, he was an excellent drummer, and he played played with a fifties, uh, sixties cover band that was popular around the Portland area. I don't even know if they're still around, but uh, he and I would get started talking about music and pretty much not stop, constantly joking about various things. 
and if the the stuff we'd talk about, uh, it would uh, flat out amaze me uh, how many decades of rock and roll we'd go and talk about. We'd be talking about Metallica one second, the Doobie Brothers another second, and then uh, Green Day another second, and then Freddie and the Dreamers. I mean, Freddie and the Dreamers? Ugh. They're only uh, for, you know their only popular song that I can think of. Is, I'm telling you now, I'm telling you right away. I don't know if uh, any of you guys know that song, but there you go. Uh, but uh, he and I got to know each other mostly because I saw a woman and a guy with his head down on the bar. The woman was wearing a Johnny Limbo and the Lugnuts t-shirt. And I said, hey, I used to date the drummer's daughter. And then all of a sudden, the guy with his head down lifts up his head and says, I don't have a daughter. And I, without missing a step, as if we were talking right before that, I said, uh, stepdaughter or, you know, Michelle. And he goes, you know, Michelle. And uh, that's how our friendship pretty much started. And then he uh, kept coming in, pay me a visit every now and then. Great. Uh, great guy, a little manic depressive from time to time, but uh, still, I I enjoyed the hell out of uh, sitting and talking about all sorts of things. And the uh, best part about the way he ended his night is if he couldn't play the solo to wipe out on the bar with his hands, then he called a cab. That was his gauge for being, uh, how he figured out that whether he was sober or not. But like I said, being a big fan of music and word getting around that I'm a fan of music and words uh, words accidentally uh, getting exaggerated on how much I know about music, people would start coming up and asking me all these weird, goofy questions. I've told you about the guys that came in and asked me because uh, Shannon told them that if you want to talk about rock and roll, you got to go to the over to the other bar where my friend Anthony is. And they asked me a question. What was the uh, what was the first song to break the three minute mark? Uh, and I my answer to him was uh, "Hey Jude," but uh, actually I was wrong. It was actually uh, "House of the Rising Sun" by the Animals. So uh, because radio stations back in the '60s they didn't really ever pass that three. Two, two and a half, three minute mark. Uh, they kept them short and you know edited the shit out of it. So when you went to buy an album and with that song that you just heard on the radio that you liked, you might hear a completely different version with extra verses. And so, uh, so that was, you know, to me that's kind of unfair to the artist. But hell, the record's sold. Who cares? But then all all of a sudden, I start getting asked questions about musicians in particular all the way from uh you know since i was a beatle fan um they'd ask me like what where did the beatles find their boots that they wore on stage to the ed sullivan show in 1964 and i don't fucking know that and that's why i never sit back and say i know everything about everything anything actually, because there's always going to be that one person that brings up that one little bit, tiny, obscure bit of trivia that, and 
you know, I usually try to avoid that. So, so you think, so when people come up and say, so you think, you know, you're everything about the Beatles, I'd, I'd always preface it by going, well, I know quite a bit, but not everything. And, you know, then they'd ask me strange questions, but sometimes I would enjoy the questions, uh, because that, that would, it would spark debate, not only with just me and the person I'm talking to, but also everybody else around like, um, you know, who are your favorite fill in the blanks? Now let's, uh, let's keep this easy. Um, so, uh, top three rock and roll vocalists. Now, uh, uh, you know, we, you know, it's kind of like in high fidelity where they go top 10 songs about death or whatever like that. And, uh, so, uh, if I had to sit back and think about it, top three rock and roll vocalists, then usually right about this time I'd be caught, you know, on the spot. Okay, I got to think of somebody quick. Let's no particular order. I would say Roger Daltrey from the Who. Uh, I would say then it would be Ann Wilson from Heart and Freddie Mercury. Uh, at the at the time, uh, I knew the guy had insane range. Besides, if you don't believe me, watch the Live Aid uh, concert where the Queen played. It's incredible. Uh, the Ann Wilson one always threw people off because they thought I would just name uh, male uh, male singers. But no, Ann Wilson, Jesus Christ, that woman has probably the most powerful voice in rock and roll, and she's belting it out. And she doesn't even look like she's trying. And uh, Roger Daltrey, you know, just listen, won't get fooled again. Or And listen to that scream he makes at the, at the end of that song. You know what I'm talking about. Then came the big debate whether they agreed with me or didn't agree with me. Like some of you right now are probably sitting back thinking, and I totally encourage it, who are my favorite uh, uh, lead singers? And, you know, uh, you know, send me an email or something like that. Dude at HeyBartenderPodcast.com. Give me your input. I'd love to hear it. Uh, then it would come to who's your favorite bass players. And I would always start out with John Whistle from The Who because the guy had the most thunderous sound. And once again, another guy that was playing the shit out of that bass and didn't even look like he was trying. Uh, next would have been Paul McCartney because he he didn't necessarily play along with the guitar, uh, which was kind of uh, common back then where the bass player would just play the root of the chord with, uh, with the guitar player. He played harmonies in, uh, or played his own thing on a fill or something like that. And he started out as a guitar player, but when Stu Sutcliffe left the band, uh, he t- he just picked up the bass and started going. So you have to admire from him for that. Uh, just going, okay, okay, I'll just do it. Uh, that was the worst impression there. And uh, let's see, third, Cliff Burton. You got to go with Cliff Burton for best bass players of all time because Cliff Burton was a major rager his head just swinging around uh, that stage the whole time and uh, did 
you really pick apart Metallica's music, you can really hear the harmonies and the intricate things he was doing behind everybody else. Like Orion, you you sit back and listen to Orion and uh, you hear actual bass solos. Anesthesia, pulling teeth from the Kill Em All album. An actual bass solo on a heavy metal album. That is something that I haven't seen ever. There might be some out there. I don't know. Now, once you move away from that, you got to say, okay, guitar players. Uh, so that one was always really hard for me because my favorite guitar players would almost change week to week. And uh, so uh, a lot of you probably uh, curious why I usually pick the older bands is because uh, I'll tell you about that a little bit later. But uh, John Lennon, Good, uh, good, solid rhythm guitar player, and uh, you know I. This is no particular order, uh, but John Lennon. Yeah, you know, a lot of people just don't think of him that much as a guitar player, but he played a very simplistic rhythm with weird chords. If you're a guitar player and uh, you know about Beatle chords, uh, they're really weird, but. Yeah, he was he was good at it, and he, uh, you know I can't deny that. Is he better than George Harrison? No, but right now John Lennon, Pete Townsend of the Who, so, a guy who has all this energy and all of this flash that can still play guitar. Uh, he's. If I had to put him in a band, I'd put him as a rhythm guitar. I wouldn't put him as a lead uh, because his rhythm rhythm guitar playing is at well from at uh, from at that time in rock and roll music, it was unheard of. It was just really fast chords and uh, uh, he he actually was the one I I think he was the one that invented a switch box to change from clean to distorted sound on guitar. Don't quote me on that. I may be wrong. And then uh, other favorite, Jimi Hendrix, another icon that changed guitar playing forever. Just uh, the sounds that he was getting and the way he closed his eyes, threw his head back, and just played what it, it came from his heart along with probably a couple tabs of acid. But... Uh, it came from him into the guitar and out to the audience. Watch, uh, watch the performance he did at Woodstock. You'll understand. Now, I said a lot of old guitar players. Uh, I do have a f- couple favorite guitar players currently, but uh, there's. I've had a few problems with the way the music industry records things nowadays, uh, because everything's done by computer and. Everything's kind. Of, the song is kind of built, so they cut uh, cut the piece that they like out of it, put it where, put it here, cut the next piece that they like, put it there, and the, like Eddie Van Halen, I guess, uh, when he was uh, recording the last, I don't know, uh, last few albums of Van Halen, uh, they would cut and paste these solos together for him, and they were all different solos. 
that he, you know, let's do another take. Okay, play a different solo. Okay, let's do another take. I'll play a different solo. So they took all the bits that they liked from every solo that he would do and then tell him to learn it. And uh, that bothers me. Uh, so I sit and question a lot of the more current. I'm not saying that uh, Kurt Hammett, uh, Eddie Van Halen, uh, or any any of the uh, any of those guys, Dave Mustaine, or well, I don't can't I'm stuck on the guy, uh, the lead guitar player for Slayer, but I'm not saying any of those guys are bad guitar players. It's just uh, those three were the ones that popped into my head right away because, like I said, I'd usually uh, do this up on the spot. Now, favorite drummers. Uh, me being a drummer, I did always have some favorites. And uh, so I would, uh, people would say, okay, who's who's the favorite drummer? Who's your top three favorite drummers of all time? And I would always start off every single time, Keith Moon of The Who. Uh, he looked, it, there, there was a fine line between, between brilliance and insanity with the way he played. And it was, it looked like it was all over the place, but it was well thought out and methodic depending on how much drugs he did that day, I guess. But, uh, Keith moon has always been one of my top favorites. Um, Ringo star, you could set a clock to that guy. He kept perfect time for everything. My favorite story about him was when they were recording Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band, the song A Day in the Life. John Lennon, I guess, walked up to him and said, I want it to sound like, I want the drums to sound like this song, whatever song it was. The, I heard it on the anthology, but I, I don't know what it is now. And then Ringo looks at him and says, there were three drummers in that. And then John Lennon looks at him and says, well, don't let that discourage you, and left him alone. The, the way he played the drums in Day in Life worked for that song perfectly. And, you know, when you're a drummer and you're faced with a task like that, where the songwriter just kind of gives you brief instructions, you got to come up with something. And uh, he did all the way. Uh, and usually I would throw in a curveball. Uh, most people no, don't know him. He was the drummer for Billy Joel for years, Liberty DeVito. Uh, the guy, the best way, thing that I can describe the way he played the drums was he knew how to play hard for a soft song. And uh, it it was fascinating because he could beat, uh, beat the crap out of the drums while Billy Joel's playing Honesty. And uh, it made sense. That's, you know, you'd sit back and think, yeah, that's the way it's supposed to be played. And that I found that fascinating. You play hard, but for a slow song. Interesting. And that kind of way of thinking just kind of may uh, interest me. But, of course, I gave you my top three, but I'm sure some of you are thinking this right now. Uh, and uh, I got asked this constantly somebody would always jump up and say, what about Neil Peart? Okay. My only thing I'm going to have to say about that, I appreciate Rush. I do like a handful of their songs, but 
when it came to Neil Peart's drumming, uh, I mean, uh, I also uh, I also like Lars Ulrich, but uh, when it came to Neil Peart's uh, drumming, it seemed very technical, and uh, it it's like he worked out a math problem and didn't work and didn't do it with feeling. That's I mean, that's the difference between Neil Peart and Keith Moon. Keith Moon, it was just like hit something, yeah, and you know, and it made sense. Neil Peart, uh, the his technique uh, was incredible. It just, for some reason, it felt overrated to me. Okay, and I'm sorry to all you guys that are Rush fans out there, but that's just the way I feel. I'm not knocking Rush. I'm not knocking Neil Peart. It's just. You know, uh, I mean, YYZ, fucking awesome. Uh, but it's just, uh, yeah, I he didn't impress me. And there are a lot of Rush fans out there that either wanted to punch me or start crying when I would uh, when I would say that. And they say, you like drummers like uh, Lars Ulrich, and uh, you don't like you don't like Rush. And I'm like, yeah, sorry. Also, honorable mention, uh, since I didn't put him in the top three and he's not really known for it anymore, uh, Dave Grohl. Dave Grohl, excellent good, uh, rhythm guitar player. Well, excellent guitar player, excellent drummer, and excellent singer. Uh, there, and he seems like such a nice guy. It looks like he could talk to anybody and sit down and have a beer. Uh it's I would love to meet the guy and uh but uh he deserves an honorable mention even though I like I said I came up with those names on the fly and uh but Dave Grohl I appreciate everything he does because uh you know it comes he can he can well he's written a couple albums where he played everything on uh on the album and uh that's hard to do uh and uh uh, but the guy's just hella talented i could compliment him all day long but yeah i got huge respects for him so that's it that's basically how the music conversations would go around my bar I mean, I there would be nights where I'd get end up getting a you know who's your top three, top five, or uh, what do you think of this album? What do you think of that album? Uh, who? What's your favorite Beatle album? What's your favorite Who album? Uh, Metallica album? You know, I uh, th- that's the type of questions that were kind of fun because you could debate them with the customers. I mean, uh, when it come to came to guitar players. I'm sure Eric Clapton uh, made a lot of people's top three list. Uh, Stevie Ray Vaughan or, you know, the the lists are different with every single person. And it's a really fascinating way to get to know somebody. Uh, That's why whenever I start talking to somebody, I usually talk about music. And uh, because I don't believe that nobody... Uh, I don't believe there's anybody in this world that doesn't like music, whether it's rock and roll, classical, jazz, 
uh, alternative, uh, pop, whatever. There's always a common ground that you can find somewhere in there to at least talk about. And that that could be for anything. Uh, that's why uh, there's sports fans. They, uh, they're either brothers to the bone or they love to hate each other. It, you know, um, Metallica fans, uh, you know, they're, uh, every time I met a Metallica fan, it's almost like a brotherhood type of thing where they're, uh, we have that common ground and all of a sudden we get along all the time. It, it was weird. And, you know, probably the same thing with kiss army, but, uh, I don't listen to kiss that whole, that much. But it was actually kind of funny in some cases where uh, people would come up and, hey, did you listen to the new Limp Biscuit album? And I never was a big fan of Limp Biscuit. Uh, and uh, I said, oh, no, I didn't catch Oh, they did this song called Behind Blue Eyes. It's so fucking killer. And I say, oh, yeah, I heard they did that cover. And they said, it wasn't a cover. It was their song. And I said, no, Behind Blue Eyes is a, a song by The Who. It was done way back and they said well they did it better and i'd usually leave it alone about there because maybe to them they did it better even though they'd never heard the original version of it uh um but uh i'm in some cases i'm kind of a power geek nerd naturalist whatever it is when it comes to uh uh people covering other music there have been Dozens of people that done covers uh, that I completely admire their version that they did it. Like uh, Disturbed Sound of Silence, uh, Metallica's Turn the Page. Uh, yeah, I could go on. But uh, yeah, cus- the customers would come up and uh, you know try to uh, start a conversation with me. And music just was my wheelhouse, and I found that the easiest thing to talk about. Now, what's the easiest thing for you guys to talk about it? I'm, uh, when you're behind the bar, when somebody's trying to get to know you or you're trying to get to know the new customer. I want to hear about this sort of thing. So uh, if you're in the mood, email me, dude, at heybartenderpodcast.com. And uh, you know I want to hear your stories or read your stories of the best ways best conversations for you to get in to get to know a new customer that'd be fun for me but anyway until the next show ladies and gentlemen that's it for the quick shot episode wednesday episode of hey bartender podcast um thank you sean b p quinn for sharing that drink with everybody uh if you ever try out that cocktail I mentioned at the beginning of the episode, email me, dude, at heybartenderpodcast.com, and let me know what you think. In fact, if you've got a drink you'd like to share with me, just send me the recipe, dude, at heybartenderpodcast.com. Hell, if you even want to be on the show, email me. I'd love to get you on here. I'd love to talk to other bartenders and get their stories. Um, if you're a music act, same thing. I love to promote music. So uh, that usually happens on Saturdays if you've been following along with the show. Uh, but if you want to get your sound out there, I want to help. So uh, just let me know. Dude at HeyBartenderPodcast.com 
or you can reach me on Facebook, Hey Bartender Podcast, or Instagram, Hey Bartender Podcast. I hope all of you are doing okay, uh, are trying to, uh, are getting by as best you can with all the restaurants closing around the United States again. Uh, I'm, I feel bad for you guys that you have been deemed as non-essential, even though people need to eat and all of a sudden you don't, uh, you don't matter. And then you can't eat because there's no stimulus check on insight and you have to wait for unemployment and the unemployment's just a fraction of what you make in a week, uh, or possibly in a day. Uh, but hang in there. And, uh, if you want to, uh, jump on with me on, uh, Hey Bartender podcast and talk about it, I'd love to hear you. So until next time, ladies and gentlemen, lots of love, lots of sex, lots of happiness, and don't take any shit from anyone. Good night. I think I need another drink. What do you mean it's let's go? I just got hit.